Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to the reboot of my podcast. You may have known my cast in the past as Severed Scissors Horror Cast, but it was time for some rebranding. So welcome to the Horror Shots Podcast. My name is Casey, and let me introduce myself. I'm a photographer of all things creepy and scary. You can check out my work at horrorshotsblog.wordpress.com or on Instagram at horrorshotsphotography. Furthermore, if you'd like to support me through more monetary ways, you are welcome to through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorshots. Now, by doing this, you help me create more and uh, better content on both the podcasting and photography side of things. There's some great incentives in there for you, too, some rewards for different tiers. I highly suggest you check it out if you want to support me. But you are supporting me by just listening or taking a look at my pictures on my website. Beyond that, I am a legally licensed private investigator, and what that means is I have an insatiable curiosity, and I like to focus on things that other people may be too afraid to investigate. I'll ask questions and look for the answers as thoroughly as possible. And that's what this cast is about, looking into the deep, dark world of supernatural and inexplicable events. Now this episode will be about vampires, as cliche as that has become. Now I did a cast on vampires on my old Severed Scissors cast about a year ago. But that was focusing more on the literary vampire. This will be centered on the lore and the real-life encounters of them. I don't feel like vampire lore really gets the attention it deserves. It's not about sparkling or glowing creatures of the night. I don't think they have the capability to shapeshift into bats or wolves, but I do feel they have a kinship with creatures, a sort of comfort with them. Now, I'll get into that later, and I'll get into the history of vampires and lore in a minute. But I want to give you my brief take and overview on these classic creatures of the night. A vampire, by definition, is somebody who takes from somebody else. In the traditional European aspect, it's an undead corpse that takes blood or the life force of others. My interpretation of this is, well, exactly that. Vampires, in my opinion, are suave and savvy individuals with the ability, and I'll touch on their abilities in a little bit as well, Uh, to convince and persuade individuals to bend to their will. I like to think that they are or have evolved to be sexy and mysterious in order to catch their prey. After all, that would be their goal, wouldn't it? Hunt, stalk, and kill for survival? But let's get into the history of these iconic creatures. Now, let's get a couple of things out of the way. Many people believe that Vlad the Impaler, the tyrant prince of Wallachia back in the 1400s, is the main source for the vampire legend or myth. But was that really the first recording of a vampire? If you aren't familiar with Vlad, he was an unfriendly guy, to say the least. He was perhaps known most for capturing agents of his enemies, torturing them, and not always for information. Some would say it was just for fun. But when he was done with them, you would impale them on a rather large pole, usually anus first. This would lead to a very slow, very painful death. He would then leave the erected poles and fields as a sort of deterrent to possible invaders. Clearly, he was a sadistic lunatic, but was that the first account? Is he 
the origin? Well, yes and no. It is true that he was a basis for Bram Stoker's Dracula, in name anyway, but that doesn't mean he was, you know, a night stalker, a creature of the night, or a vampire. Stories of vampirism have been told for centuries and centuries prior to Vlad and Bram Stoker. The ancient Greeks told of Ampusa, who was the daughter of Hecate. She was believed to transform herself into a beautiful young woman in order to feed on the blood of young men. Seduction and feeding on the blood and flesh of men seems vampiric, but also seems a little bit like a succubus. Now, like most ancient stories, they're usually allegories for something else. In this case, it's probably to warn against luring over sexual embrace or to shun prostitution. But, as we all know, there's a bit of truth to every tale. So perhaps there was a woman or women in ancient Greece who would target men to drink their blood and eat their flesh after sleeping with them. Maybe they were actual vampires, the first coven, so to speak, and the Grecians just didn't have a name for it back then. But does the legend go back even further? The Persians, a few thousand years before the ancient Greek stories, had their own version of a blood-sucking entity. The Babylonians had tales of Lilithu, later translated into Hebrew as Lilith. Some of you may have heard that name thrown about before, it's a very powerful name in fact. But in her earliest form, she was a blood-sucking man-eating demon. Again, perhaps the origin of the vampire mythos, and maybe even the mother of all vampires. After all, every species has to have its origins, and given its supernatural basis, maybe it was a god, or even goddess, that started the whole thing. Actually, if you think about it, a female origin would make sense. Vampires feed on the flesh, and more so the blood, of people. That resource isn't an easy one to obtain. You would need a disguise in order to get it. After all, if you just go around draining people of blood in broad daylight, the ruse isn't going to last very long. Men would be easy targets as well by luring them with sex. Of course, vampires have powers and abilities, which have surely been embellished over time, but perhaps they were stronger and more clever than the average person. Knowledge of poisons and the ability to suggest, or even minor mind control, if you will, are all traits vampires are claimed to have had. To me, the ability to seduce and control, and the intimacy of the killings, Pretty much everything about vampires screams woman. As we move through history, we see other accounts in medieval times, mainly from two historians, Walter Mapp and William of Newburgh. However, these reports are scarce and difficult to find. Furthermore, the Norse has their own legend called the Dragur. Now, I'm sorry if I do pronounce any of these words incorrectly. I'm not Nordic, nor am I Babylonian or Greek. So I'm just going off simple phonetics. But the Norse legend of the Dragur, which if you played Skyrim, you'd be quite familiar with that name. Uh, they were undead beings that have vampire-like traits. Again, without the luxury of modern science, known medical issues could be the case of these legends. But as I said, there's a bit of truth in every story. There's one somewhat recorded event through... 16th century, written by a rabbi called David Ben Solomon Ibn Abi Zimra, who told the tale of a woman who had died, but went unburied for three days, then rose again to be a vampire. She reportedly went on to kill hundreds of people. However, one of the earliest reported vampire cases comes from Croatia. Yuri Grando caused quite a bit of panic amongst the local villages. 
in Croatia. Grando died in 1656, yet the villagers claimed that he rose from the dead. He killed and drank the blood of his victims and harassed his widow. Here's where the story gets a little more interesting. This wasn't just a myth or a story that went around the area with nobody ever seeing him after his death. In fact, he was staked through the heart, yet that failed to kill him. He was later beheaded. This is tangible evidence with eyewitness reports and an alleged body of the vampire. It's not one of those stories where people being murdered or mutilated with no suspects and only suspicions of a vampire supernatural events happening. They had seen a man die, and then later on, after his death, he killed people. His wife recognized him as she had been harassed by her undead husband. If there was one person out there who would recognize him, it would be her. The legends of vampires continue into the 18th century as well, when there was a rash of vampire sightings and a near epidemic broke out in Eastern Europe. Now this was a time when old legends and folklore were becoming to be a bit cliche and the belief in them had faded just a bit. It was so intense that government officials had begun staking corpses and hunting vampires. The threat was very real. And no more so than Peter Blagjevic from Serbia. Peter had died at the age of 62, but soon after his death, returned to ask his son for some food. Presumably his offspring denied, most likely out of fear as he had buried his father however long ago. The poor guy was found dead the next day, that's his son. His son was found dead after denying him food. Later on, neighbors of Peter were also found dead from loss of blood. Legends of vampires were quite strong and widely believed in Europe, and in the German regions most specifically. It was common practice to bury bodies with their mouths clamped shut in some way or another, and corpses were often visited after burial to check up on them. Oftentimes they would find claw marks on the inside of the lid, and limbs of the corpses were chewed with pieces of flesh found in the corpse. I'm talking digested, or in the mouths. Of course, there are beliefs all over the world of vampires and vampirism. Africa has their own legends of a tree-dwelling monster with iron teeth. America has their own beliefs as well. The 18th century saw families burying loved ones without hearts to quell the chance of a vampiric rise. Of course, Japan and their Nukekubi, whose head detached from its body and flies around killing people. Now, I'm open-minded and believe in a lot of supernatural entities, vampires included, but when we begin to break the laws of physics and basic biology, such as detaching heads, I become a wee bit skeptical. So I won't be going too much further into those legends. I don't want to detract from the basic lore and mythos of the traditional vampire. One thing that I do find super interesting, that while several hundred years ago, reports of vampires and vampire attacks were commonplace, in more recent history, there hasn't been any substantial reports of vampires. England 2005 had a report of vampire attacks, but police reported no such crimes had ever occurred and that it was nothing more than an urban legend. Of course, that could be a cover-up, but again, I won't be getting into cover-ups and conspiracies on this specific cast anyway. With that said, it appears that the last case of actual vampirism and it being taken somewhat seriously comes from Romania. And where else? And that happened in 2003. Peter Toma was a family man and from all accounts lived a good life. 
He died around Christmas in 2003, but was not buried for a few days as his family decided to have a vigil. Uh, and this is one of the reported ways that a vampire can be created, but I'll touch on that again after this story. After Peter was buried, his niece became ill and suffered from horrific nightmares. She even claimed that her uncle Peter was visiting her in the night, feeding off of her heart. Sounds very much like a vampire. Uh, it was widely believed that Toma had become something known as a Strigoi, and a sort of undead spirit or creature with a lot of vampire-like qualities. However, everything known about Strigoi suggests that wouldn't be possible. Dmitri Kantemir and Theodore Bruada list how a Strigoi can be born. It can be of the seventh child of the same sex in a family, lead a life of sin, die without being married, die by execution for perjury, by suicide, or having been cursed by a witch. It's unclear if you need to have all of those traits or just one. But unless Peter was cursed by a witch, he didn't exactly fall into any of those categories. He was a family guy, he lived a good life, he didn't commit suicide and wasn't executed for perjury. Nevertheless, Peter could very well have been a traditional vampire, hence the being left out after dying without being buried for a few days. Reports suggest that after his death and the accounts of his niece and such, family members dug him up to perform a vampire hunting ritual. The traditional stake through the heart, burning, etc. When they opened the coffin, things weren't quite right. Toma's arms were no longer crossed at his chest as he was buried. His head was turned to the side, again, not the traditional burial form that a corpse would take. And, most damning of all, he had dried blood stained upon his lips. If you ask me, that's a bit creepy and lends credence to the claims about him. Anyway, it ended with his family members removing his heart, burning it, and making the ash into a sort of potion. The potion was given to Tom's victims, and they recovered from whatever it was that ailed them. No more nightmares, no more feeling ill. Again, that's a remedy from traditional vampire lore. However, one of the last known serious reports of vampires came from a professor at the University of Central Florida, where he concluded that if the first vampire came into existence on January 1st, 1600, fed once a month, causing every victim he fed on to turn into a vampire, the entire world's population would have become a vampire within two and a half years. Now that's actually quite fascinating, but what happened to vampires in the last few hundred years? Well, I have a few theories about that, which I'll touch on shortly. However, that does lead me to my next topic. How did vampires come into existence in the first place? Now, never mind the report that was done. That was obviously a theoretical report, and there was no actual tangible evidence for vampirism. But how did they come into place originally? There are a lot of theories surrounding this. Some traditions and cultures suggest that, and I mentioned this a few moments ago, that if a body is left unattended or unburied, the corpse will rise again after an undisclosed amount of time, though three days does seem to be pretty common. I'm not sure what to make of this, as there are plenty of murder victims that go unfound or undiscovered for days, weeks, months, even years, and they don't rise to become a creature of the night. And given their unsanctimonious deaths, it would give them the so-called right to come back and seek revenge at the very least. That leads me to believe there is much, much more to the way of vampires and how they are created. 
Now, I mentioned curses before. What about a curse? Now, we're getting somewhere. Hundreds, even thousands of years ago, religion was a completely different beast than it is today. It featured more magic and superstition. Well, that was a little thing called witchcraft, which, of course, goes by different names depending on the geological location, be it voodoo or shamanism or one of the many other names. They're all designed around spirits and being one with the dead. Now, don't get me wrong, there is much, much more to witchcraft and the other ethnic traditions, but spirits are one of the defining and common elements. One belief, such as the Strigoi, is that a person or family or a corpse is cursed by a witch. There's some merit to this. Witches and old gods, pre-monotheistic, gained a lot of power from their sense of belief and how many people believed in them. Witches had a huge connection to their god, and ultimately still do. The closer the witch is to their deity, the more powerful their power becomes. While I haven't been able to find any spells, which isn't uncommon as witches tend to keep their spellbooks very close, almost as an extension of their body. But that doesn't mean these spells don't exist. Vampires, being close to the supernatural, kind of fit this theory. But there are other theories, of course. What about medical causes? Is it a form of evolution or survival? Perhaps. Another theory is that people were prematurely buried or buried alive, and these people would turn into vampires under certain circumstances. Now, if you've seen Deadpool, and I know I'm stretching here, but if you've seen Deadpool or any of the X-Men movies, you'd understand what I'm talking about. Remember how Deadpool got his powers in the movie? He was injected with a serum and then had his body exposed to extreme measures to force a mutation. Or an evolution, if you will, in his cells. Perhaps it's a similar story here. Perhaps the stress of being buried alive causes one's body to jump into overdrive and adapt to survive. Think about it. You awake in a dark cramped space. There's not a lot of oxygen and no food, so naturally you begin to panic. After a certain amount of time, you'll need to eat, but there's nothing around. If you're lucky, maybe a rat or some worms have burrowed into your final resting place. But if not, the only thing you have is yourself. Under the stress of the fight for survival, you bite a chunk out of your arm. And perhaps that's Deadpool's serum. It's the catalyst the trigger, so to speak, for your body to transform. You die, but you come back to life with a thirst for blood. It would explain why vampires are so rare, not many people are buried alive, especially nowadays, be it due to medical miscalculation or whatever. We've all heard the stories of people being buried alive, being pronounced dead when they actually weren't. There's stories of bells being hung above graves so the dead could or the presumed dead, rather, could ring it in case they weren't actually dead. They could be saved or rescued. But that doesn't happen too much nowadays. Obviously, we have much higher uh, education and better medical practices. But back then, you never knew. But that's beside the point here. More to the point is, of the very few people who did get buried alive, maybe 1%? or a very, very small amount of people being buried alive would actually take a chunk out of their own arm. Again, leading to a very small amount of vampires, if this is indeed the way that they are created. As obscure and strange as that may sound, it does make a degree of sense. 
But ultimately, the most common and well-known way of vampirism spreading is, of course, by being bitten. Some movies and media have different means, be it having been bitten and that's it, or having been bitten then needing to be killed, which triggers the transformation, or having been bitten then ingesting the vampire's own blood. There are a ton of ways according to media and, and movies and storytelling in general, but they all have one thing in common. You have to be bitten. This brings a real-world element into play, which gives it a lot of plausibility. Think about it for just a second. Maybe, just maybe, vampirism is a virus spread through the original source, who or whatever that might be. Now, how many viruses or diseases are spread through the mouth? Rabies, flus, colds, tuberculosis, the list goes on and on. So perhaps it really is a bite that does it. And perhaps a vampire is nothing more than a diseased person that causes them to have symptoms. Symptoms such as sensitivity to light, the need to feed on blood, most likely for a very specific nutrient or something of that sort. And maybe it's a disease that is so intense that it kills off normal human cells and transforms or mutates them into something completely different. But now we have to ask, who was the original carrier? Now this can't, goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the cast. Who started this whole thing? Well, maybe it wasn't a human after all. Perhaps it's a form of rabies that has evolved. Maybe the original vampire was a rat or some other type of common animal that could cohabitate with people. I do think it is the most common and easily accepted way of transformation. I also think that it is the actual way a vampire is born. I like to believe in the supernatural and all sorts of cryptids and the such, but I look for the realism and the practical ways these things could exist. And a virus through evolution of said virus is the most practical way a vampire could come into existence. I've spoken a bit about evolution, and I think that is the key to vampirism. Evolution. I mean, you hear a lot about other cryptids or supernatural sightings over the years. Bigfoot never seems to fade. Aliens and ghosts are consistent in the community. There are countless TV shows and movies and documentaries made about these creatures, but you don't hear anything about vampires in the media. Sure, other fictional books, shows, and movies, of course. But I mean, the real last account of a vampire was in 2003 with Peter Toma. And you don't hear about attacks or witness testimonies about vampires. I mean, every once in a while you get a serial killer with a mental disorder like uh, Richard Trenton Chase, the vampire of Sacramento, who would drain his victims of blood, drink it, as well as eating their flesh. But ultimately, he was sick another way, being diagnosed with schizophrenia. My theory as to why you don't hear about vampires anymore, they've evolved. Just like the virus that infected them, they, as a species, has evolved. Perhaps once upon a time, they were sensitive to light, with it even being fatal. But over time, it's likely that the virus, or the creature itself, would have evolved. After all, it's not very practical to exist on a planet that is sunny half the time. So over the course of centuries, that could have been filtered out through evolution. Now vampires can blend in with everybody else, living normal days and nights, 
and with the advent of blood banks, it wouldn't be too hard to obtain blood without killing anybody. Vampires perhaps have grown bored or even complacent with their way of life and just strive to be normal. Now, as much as I would like to be a vampire, I am not one, so I can't say for certain. But if these creatures are truly immortal, they would have to evolve and adapt to the society and civilization in which they live, just like the virus that infects them. I believe that evolution plays a huge part in their survival. I mentioned blood banks and things like the Red Cross being reasons for vampire attacks being all but obliterated in the developed world. But how do they get the blood? You don't hear of robberies or anything of that sort, so how do they get these packets of blood? Sure, bribery is an option, but that would get expensive and risky after a while. Now it's common lore that vampires have special abilities, and I told you I would talk about these. Uh, they have these abilities or powers, strength, speed, intelligence, and mind control. Now while they're most likely stronger and faster than the average person, I doubt that they're on the level of Superman. But what about mind control? That seems to be the only thing out of this world. Totally crazy. Unbelievable, even. Well, not necessarily. I don't think that they can control minds, but the power of suggestion is a very strong element of human culture. Just look at a mentalist. The people who appear to have psychic abilities or have the ability to control people through hypnosis. I feel this is a trait inherent to vampires in general and it's probably one of their oldest skills. It would explain the easy seduction hunting hundreds of years ago. However, now that's not really needed. All they need to do is intercept a shipment or go to the hospital and charm whoever's in charge of the blood bags. It's Occam's razor. The simplest answer is often the right one, and to me, that is the simplest answer. So next time you think about vampires and how they don't exist, think about how long the lore has been around, and how it survived through the centuries, even millennia, and how it's still relevant today. It can't be a coincidence that a legend that old still lives on in this day and age. I want to thank you for listening, and if you have any comments, feel free to email me through my website at horrorshotsblog.wordpress.com. If you have any stories or insight, I'll be happy to read it and mention it on my next cast. Now, I should talk about when I will be uploading. At the current time, I'm aiming for twice a month. If I get enough Patreon subscribers and pledges, I will hopefully be able to do that once a week as opposed to just twice a month. It takes a lot of time and energy and resources to research whatever it is I'm going to be talking about next and in future casts. I work nearly full-time, I make minimum wage, so my resources are very limited, and my time is also very limited. So any help or support you can do on that end of the spectrum would be beyond appreciated, and I would love to do this on a more regular basis. But for now, thank you, and goodbye.